Welcome to Investment Magazine's ongoing podcast series, The Future of Super. These podcasts are an in-depth series of conversations with key decision makers, leaders and industry stakeholders at a time when the maturing industry is challenged to provide retirement solutions for older Australians, as well as continuing the work of building assets for those still in the workforce. We explore critical topics for executives responsible for governance, for operations and outcomes, addressing vital issues relevant to the future of Australia's retirement and savings system. Please visit investmentmagazine.com.au or get in touch to continue the conversation. And now, please enjoy the episode. Welcome to the AIA Future of Super podcast. This episode is focused on retirement policy. I'm your host, Julia Newbold, Managing Editor at Conexus Financial. Our sponsor is AIA Insurance. And our guests today are Jackie Ellis, Head of Retirement Segment Aware Super, and David Bell, Executive Director of the Conexus Institute. Thank you both for joining me today. Pleasure. Pleasure. Now, Jackie, your title is very interesting, Head of Retirement Segment. Can you explain how it works and what the setup is at Aware Super? Certainly. Um, we have just um, undertaken a bit of a restructure at um, Aware Super so that we can ensure that we have um, the um, responsibilities and accountability set up across the fund to enable us to coordinate um, retirement activities right across the fund. I think um, that's really important for super funds going forward. Um, retirement really is all about some of the parts and being able to make sure that we can bring together all of the different elements that um, give rise to the outcomes our members receive in retirement and the experiences they have along the way is um, critical. And so we have created a new um, segment-based approach to um, leading the sort of growth and um, initiatives of the fund. And so I, I lead the retirement segment, which is all of our members over age 55 and um, work um, you know, with, a, with a team that report directly through to me. We own the retirement strategy uh, for the fund and um, you know, not just the development of it, but also the execution of that. And so we will, we will work in virtual sort of agile teams across the fund to give effect to um, you know, all, of, all of the activities we need to deliver in the coming years under the retirement strategy so that we can deliver the best possible life for our members in retirement. Thank you. And David, can you give a brief introduction of the Conexus Institute and what you do? Sure, Julia. So the Conexus Institute was set up to be an independent think tank. Uh, so there's no commercial interests. It's all philanthropically funded by Colin Tate and Conexus Financial. And all the work of the Institute is focused on assisting policymakers, regulators and industry deliver better financial outcomes for Australia. So I'm the um, executive director there, but I collaborate broadly across industry. So for instance, over the last 12 months, I think we've collaborated with 35 people on various projects and so forth and grateful for the input of all those people. And then all that work gets made open source available, um, yeah, and, and, and so that it can be used by relevant parties. So we've definitely got the right people talking about retirement income today. 
So today we're talking about retirement income policy and we're going to talk about announced policies and reviews and the accompanying regulations. We'll also touch on the areas where future policy and regulatory changes may emerge. So we'll take a walk down policy lane and our aim is to understand the current status of retirement income policy in Australia. And to do this, David's going to give some context by running through a brief history of the retirement income policy. And then we'll look at the present retirement income policy setting dominated by the retirement income covenant. And we can explore policy and practice through Jackie's experience. So David, would you like to start with Jeremy Cooper's super system review, please? So it won't take long, but call me a nerd, but I do think it's good to go through some of the history because it helps to frame the retirement challenge. I also think it's important for listeners to understand how long policy reform can take in such a complex system. So the super system review had an entire chapter dedicated to retirement. So it's funny because you, you sort of think is that, that review being the one that led to my super and so forth, but there was actually a, a reasonable focus on retirement as well. And from that, there are just a few notable takeouts I wanted to bring to listeners' attention. The first was that the review identified design rule changes for lifetime income stream products necessary to sort of make that product space work more effectively. Secondly, it flagged the importance of retirement advice, something we're still hearing today. And then third, uh, point to call out is that yeah, the review recommended that trustees should devise a separate post-retirement strategy that accounted for investment inflation and longevity risks. And as we walk through this policy roadmap, you'll start to see some of that language sounds reasonably familiar to where we are today. So where to from here, David? So the next step on our little policy roadmap is David Murray's Financial System Inquiry, which was released at the end of 2014. Um, what came out of that inquiry with respect to retirement, because it was a very broad review looking across the whole financial system. Well, there was some very interesting recommendations focusing on superannuation and retirement. And just to share one quote with you from that review, um, it was that, recommendation that to require superannuation trustees to pre-select a comprehensive income product for members' retirement. The product would commence on the member's instruction or the member may choose to take their benefits in another way. Impediments to such product development should be removed. This product idea came to be known as a SIPA, um, short for Comprehensive Income Product for Retirement. So I'm glad we have an acronym on that one, especially on a podcast. And um, yeah, you can start to see some interesting aspects coming through here. Um, it sort of had, the again, the focus on regular stable income stream, longevity, risk management and flexibility. So again, language which is not dissimilar to today's Retirement Income Covenant. And it also called out the regulatory impediments to developing retirement income products, which included tax policy settings. So this relates to the tax treatment, but also the age pension means testing of longevity style products, uh, which at the time probably viewed to be disadvantaged relative to the treatment of account-based pension products. So while they all sound very familiar, where did the recommendations get to? So these recommendations sort of kicked off a couple of streams of government-led work, which they um, pulled together and called their work on the retirement income framework. 
So if I just look at the two streams, um, the first I'd go to is the retirement income streams piece, which was exploring those restrictions on tax and means testing, treatment of account-based pensions and lifetime income stream products like, like an annuity. And then the second is to explore the idea of a SIPA because this was an active industry um, and policy issue for a couple of two to three years really. So starting with the first one, um, the retirement income streams review involved both Treasury and the Department of Social Security through 2016 and 17. Uh, but look at the appropriateness of the account-based pension minimum drawdown rules and broadly concluded there that they're appropriate. And then it looked into restrictions and treatment of non-account-based pension retirement income stream products. So that's your life, guaranteed products like life annuities, but also your pooled products that we're starting to see more of um, today. Specifically, these products were required at the time to provide constant income and nor could they defer income. So two pretty strong challenges there in the, in the design rules around those products. So in short, this provided, um, well, sorry, there were a range of outcomes that came, came out of this. One was to change the um, design rules. Um, one was to also change the means testing aspects of these products. And so where we are now, without being too technical on it, Julia, is to say we, we probably have a neutral environment for account-based pension products and non-account-based pension income stream products like lifetime annuity. So no longer, um, while at the edges you may say, oh, one product's you know, treated beneficially relative to another, I'd sort of say broadly we're now at the space where this issue is less prevalent and you know, when you're considering what products to design and develop for your membership, it's reasonably neutral playing field. Okay, we'll come back to that in a little while, but where does this leave us in regards to the SIPA? So the SIPA, um, back to that famous acronym, um, well, it ended up being reviewed in a major way by Treasury and, and the Australian Government Actuary, and there was a lot of consultation in this, and the Australian Government Actuary even proposed a certification approach, but ultimately it didn't progress to policy. And why was that? Various reasons, and it's these various reasons which form, inform the policy setting that we have today. So some of the main ones were uh, a fundamental question around whether or not people should be provided a homogenous retirement solution. I'm sure you'll hear when we go back to Jackie and what they're developing that you'll see that you know retirement is a, is a very individual decision and, and everyone has different characteristics. There are also concerns around the policy being too prescriptive and overly restricting innovative product design. So what might be excellent product design at the time might evolve and the, the design rules or the restrictions may actually you know, stop funds from innovating in that space. And then there are also concerns over the true value out of the policy. Once you combine the concept of a SIPA with the age pension, it was difficult to sort of, um, when you analyse it, or say, well, well, what is the government policy case for, for coming up with something that's so prescriptive? So. Ultimately, the concept of the SIPA was explored, but, but set aside. So that brings us up to today, and we find ourselves near the polar opposite, the principles-based retirement income covenant. And it's probably time to hear from you, Jackie. Is this a fair reflection? 
Um, yeah, I think it's a fair reflection, although I'm not sure I would use the words polar opposite. For me, it's been more of an evolution in thinking and, um, you know, really one that is um, uh, grounded in the sort of deep research and thinking that the, the government and industry has done in this space over that sort of long period of policy formation. Um, and um, I think we've landed collectively in a more nuanced view of retirement. Um, you know, as, as David was saying, retirement really is um, a very individual and personal experience. It's a lifestyle first and foremost. And as an industry, super's here to sort of support the finances that um, make that possible for members. Um, and I think one of the things that make it so personal is that, you know, the objective, how much you um, want um, or, or need in retirement to have the retirement that, that you want and, and meet your goals, and that's a very personal question and different um, individuals will answer that in different ways. And they'll, they'll answer that with respect to their current lifestyle. Often they'll talk about wanting to maintain their lifestyle. Some members will even want to, you know, talk about wanting to have a quiet life, um, while others kind of really want to, you know, um, maximise um, their savings and really be able to sort of, you know, go on those big holidays and sort of live that dream life once they've retired. And, um, you know, because members own that objective, it really is um, difficult to see how, you know, a, a single sort of um, prescribed um, almost default sort of structure from the government that the SIPAs were, um, how that, that could really um, best meet members' needs. And so we have had that evolution to a principles-based approach that allows trustees to, you know, understand their membership and make available the sorts of um, products and strategies and guidance and information to help their members, um, you know, realise their best possible retirement, whatever that means for them, and to sort of support innovation and allow different funds to respond to maybe the, the nuances of their membership or, or the differing sort of desires and needs um, of their members. So I think that that's a real positive and, um, you know, as aware, um, you know, we have a, a you know, we're, we're a very large fund. Um, we've got $150 billion, um, in assets under management and a very large portion of that, about a quarter of our farm is in the retirement phase. Um, we have over 100,000 members um, who are already retired in the fund and we have a long sort of heritage in providing advice and guidance to those members. So I think that we um, you know, have a strong understanding of just how important it is to take a principles-based approach. Um, so the retirement an income covenant was um, something that was consulted on over the um, second half of 2021 and then was finally passed into law um, in February of this year. And it required funds to, you know, really research and think about their membership and um, determine the best strategy for meeting their members' needs in retirement and how we're going to give back their money and help them sort of turn that, that pot of um, gold they have at the point of retirement into an income stream in their retirement. Um, and we all needed to have um, that strategy in place by 1 July this year. So, um, you know, that, that has sort of come to fruition. Um, and now it's a really exciting time to be working in retirement in the industry, I think. Jackie, when you um, researched your membership, were there any surprises that came out that the members wanted that maybe hadn't been thought of before? Um, I think the thing that really struck us the most was just the diversity of our membership and maybe, um, you know, in a way that's not 
so surprising, but, you know, I think we have been accustomed as an industry to think about defaults and typical members and that sort of paternalistic view you end up having in the accumulation phase as a result of my super and things. Um, And when you sort of break down your membership into different cohorts of members and look at different members with different characteristics and as you start talking to members and, um, you know, doing sort of more human-centred design processes, um, you know, it's really interesting to, um, you know, hear from them in their words what it means to them to retire and what they're looking for and how they think about things. And, um, you know, you do really get that sort of full spectrum of circumstances and, um, you know, ideologies and, um, you know, even things around the way that they think about risk and um, how important it is for members to sort of safeguard their savings um, is really interesting. You know, it's always stuck with me um, doing some member testing and um, listening to uh, a particular individual who's really quite well off in retirement. They they were having one of those retirements where they'd really saved hard and were having their, um, you know, big holidays every year and and living life large. But, you know, that he spoke about um, you know, switching to cash at um, before he would go on on his holiday every year, and really, um, you know, wanting to um, do that as a peace of mind because who would know what would happen in markets while he was away and what what he would be able to um, how he might be able to respond whether he'd have internet um, at that moment and things like that. And um, uh, I think I think it's really important to remember that it's members' preferences as well as their circumstances that need to be taken into account. And so we we do need to get a lot better as an industry about thinking about the new B2C world that is retirement and understanding our members and being able to sort of engage with them in a way that makes it simple and easy for members and allows them to um, set themselves up to meet their own personal needs. So, Jackie, what are the key requirements for super fund trustees under the Retirement Income Covenant? Um, So, the Covenant really just asks funds to have a strategy and um, to make sure that that strategy is um, well-researched, grounded in, um, you know, information that's been gathered and, and research that's been undertaken, um, you know, really there there is not so much a requirement, but certainly a desire for funds to um, think about the different cohorts of members that they're serving and really understand that diversity of needs as well in setting up their strategy. And there's quite an evidentiary um, regime around that. So you do need to be able to sort of document and point to the insights that have um, driven you your strategy in a particular direction. Um, and we need to have a summary of that strategy on our website for our members to be able to um, see and, um, you know, to inform them about which funds are taking this seriously and and really trying to um, help them uh, make the most of their retirement. Um, And uh, going forward, there is a need to, um, you know, show progress um, towards implementing that strategy. And um, part of that is, you know, making sure that it's embedded in your broader sort of governance structures for the fund um, and to... um, Uh, you know, your business performance measurement processes and budget cycles and that sort of stuff. But at the core of it, I think 
the the covenant is really interesting because it does pick up on that history that David was talking about, and it, and it really um, it pushes the industry away from just thinking about product to thinking about the outcomes we're actually delivering to members, and it's that sort of trade off and balance that members need to um, strike between you know maximising their income in retirement for for the balance that they've sort of retired with, um, managing the risks around that so that that income is sustainable and stable through time and also providing the flexibility that they might need along the way, which is actually a really core value that members have. They really um, understand that, you know, retirement's a long period. Um, you know, we would say, you know, it could easily be 30 years for many and um, and so life happens and being able to respond to the unexpected is really important to members. And so there is that balance between those three core objectives um, and that balance has to be struck um, at the member level really if we're going to do a good job of that. And so I think that's quite interesting because it does sort of push a conversation past just product into, you know, let's think about the outcomes we're delivering to our members and how we're going to help them achieve that. Very much flexibility embedded in the principles-based retirement income covenant, um, Julia. So even in the definitions themselves, so for instance, the definition of retirement income, the definition of retirement, it's that the actual definition of retirement itself is is open to trustee trustees to determine retirement period, retirement income. It has to include income derived from superannuation drawdowns and age pension, but you're actually welcome to include other sources of income if you like, like other savings, the um equity release from your home. So where this could go is just fascinating in terms of um, the mandate to innovate that's been given to industry. And um, I think there's a lot of positives that will come out of that. One interesting aspect was the idea of co cohorting was mentioned in the retirement income covenant. And my initial review is that you know, some funds have done cohorts, others sort of um, you know, recognise that, you know, retirement's more individual than putting people into cohorts and then other groups have sort of realised that delivery is at the individual level but perhaps when you're bringing your overall strategy together, cohorting is a useful um, business strategy tool which I'd probably say is where, how your fund's framing the use of cohorting, Jackie. Yeah, that's right. I think, um, you know, for us, it's all about understanding our members and their needs so that we can respond to that, you know, at the strategic level um, while ensuring we've got, you know, the scale to make sure everything is, you know, cost effective and, and efficient as possible for members. But, you know, on implementation, we really believe um, in the need to personalise that for members' circumstances um, and their goals and preferences. And so, you know, that flexibility that is embedded in the um, retirement income covenant is, is really, and the principles-based approach that's taken is really important for us to be able to, um, you know, take that forward and deliver personalisation um, as much as we possibly can in executing that strategy so that we're meeting um, members' needs in the best way possible. It, it's very complex. So has there been regulation from APRA and ASIC to support the legislation? No, no new regulation has been introduced by APRA or ASIC um, in response to the Retirement Income Covenant. And probably to position that, imagine if a policy comes out and it's just so principles-based, it'd be very hard for a regulator or regulators in this case to come in and sort of 
you know, cut into that and, and be the one to reduce the amount of um, flexibility that's been given to trustees initially. So um, they've sort of had to create or emphasise frameworks which use existing regulatory tools. Yeah, that's right. There was a letter from, a joint letter, in fact, from um, ASIC and APRA, and that's one thing that we've been really pleased to see is the way that, you know, the regulators and Treasury are really, um, you know, going to great effort to collaborate and um, be on the same page in um, progressing policy in this space, which I think is really helpful. Um, and that letter really highlighted um, the governance frameworks that already exist in um, uh for, for super funds like um, the member outcomes um, that APRA regulate with and the DDO regime that um, ASIC um, manages and how they see the retirement income covenant fitting in with that and just highlighting the need to make sure that, um, you know, as funds respond to this new covenant, this new sort of elevated fiduciary requirement for our trustee to deliver on, um, uh, you know, that, that balance between the three objectives for our members, that we integrate that in all aspects of the fund and the fund's governance in an appropriate way so that we um, are sort of coherent and consistent. I think that that's a, a good call out um, for them to have made. And, and we've been really pleased to see that, um, you know, APRA um, in particular have certainly said that they're going to give funds the space to um, innovate and, um, you know, are, are really cognizant of the principles-based nature um, of the um, of the RIC, as we've come to call it, another acronym for the industry um, for, of the covenant, and um, allow um, allow that principles-based framework to to give rise. So I think that that's um, uh, a really great step, and it'll be really interesting to see how they look to evolve their standards to um, reflect the new requirements um, that we have as a fund. But I think that that's something that's going to emerge um, in the coming months and years, um, and it's probably something that will evolve over time. I think. Um Something you just mentioned a little a little while ago, Jackie, about you know governance being the enabler of really good retirement outcomes, and um, to sort of frame it up a bit. I think that's sort of been a you know a constant message coming out of APRA that um, you know the funds with really strong governance processes are on a very strong foundation to to really do do well for their members in this in this aspect. Yeah, and I think um, getting the right measures of success for retirement will be really important um, in, in that regard as well. And, and one of the challenges in this space for the regulators and the industry as a whole is really thinking about what, what is the measure of success for retirement and how do we um, think about that in, in light of the covenant and the new requirements to think about the outcomes we're delivering at the member level. As an industry, we tend to focus on outcomes at the product level, um, and that has certainly been um, the case to date in accumulation with your future, your super and things like that. Um, but now there's this real call to action to think about the outcomes we're actually delivering at the individual member level. And that's something that we we do at AWARE and we have been measuring that for, for some time and we have the sort of frameworks for that. I think that's really important because it highlights um, those trade-off decisions and just how impactful they are to members' retirement outcomes. And certainly the research that, you know, we've done um, at AWARE has shown that, you know, helping members to make the right decisions at the right time and get those sort of structures and strategies right for their personal circumstances is or can easily be as impactful to their outcomes in retirement as, you know, you know, 
being with a fund with strong performance um, and things like that. And so I think it's wonderful that um, we have this opportunity to focus more on the members that we're here to serve, um, but it's it's certainly creates a challenge for doing, you know, developing standards and uh, measures of success at the industry level that's, that are comparable. And I think that'll be a really interesting area for us to focus on and get right to help, um, you know, ensure that the principles-based um, nature of the covenant can flourish. At AIA, our dream is to champion Australia to be the healthiest and best protected nation in the world. To achieve this, we are continuously innovating to develop and deliver customer-led life, health and well-being propositions that help people live healthier, longer, better lives. To find out more, visit aia.com.au. So we've just had the first round of retirement income strategies with member-facing versions printed on their websites. Jackie, you've lived the experience. What was it like creating your fund's first retirement income strategy? Well, I um, I love the topic of retirement. I find it really um, fascinating and uh, I love the opportunity we have as an industry to make a difference for our members. And so I found it really fun, first and foremost. Um, we sort of approached it like um, a big sort of research project. Um, you know, we're fortunate at AWARE because we do have um, quite a, a significant portion of members in retirement and, and we have that long heritage of thinking about the needs of members in retirement and investing um, to align with those needs. We have um, quite quite significant um, internal expertise in this area and we have um, the research capability um, that goes with that as well. So we have been, um, you know, doing lots of member research um, and um, an analysis around what drives different outcomes for different members and um, their circumstances. And it's been a really satisfying opportunity to be able to draw on all of that research we've done over the last three, four years and, um, you know, really draw out the key insights from that and have that um, articulated as, um, as the sort of driver of our strategy. Um, that's been a really helpful exercise, actually more helpful than I thought. I mean, we have sort of lived and breathed doing that research along the way, um, but putting it all together and, and thinking about that in that one sort of holistic way was um, was really um, helpful and, and really allowed us to sort of boil down the strategy um, and articulate it in a simple um, way about, you know, these are the key drivers that we need to get right for our members and to support them um, to have a better life. And um, and these are the areas of focus for us um, over the next three years of, of our sort of standard planning cycle. Um, and um, yeah, so really mostly it's just been a really good process and it's been a great opportunity to, you know, have those conversations elevated at the board level. And I know that from some of my counterparts across the industry that, that they found the same as well. And I guess that's what retirement's all about, you know, superannuation to get to retirement, to have the life and now you're getting it done. So Absolutely. It's very much the purpose of super. And so it's great that we're finally here as an industry as it, as it continues to mature and, um, you know, giving retirement the focus that it deserves. So, David, I imagine you've been reviewing these. Um, what have been your observations? It's been quite fascinating, Julia. So, I've reviewed um, over a dozen retirement income strategies of all the biggest funds around the land. 
And um, probably just a few things to call out. The dispersion across industry is amazing and, and that's what you would expect when you have a principles-based framework. Um, you should expect a lot of dispersion and that will lead to positive discoveries um, of, of what, you know, what members are looking for in retirement but also different ways of innovating. It's, it's really interesting mixing pot at the moment. I've already mentioned that the way that cohorting was being used across funds was quite different. And so there is that question mark of how best to use that concept. And um, from a from a delivery to member perspective, it might be a bit of an interim technology. And so I sort of see some of the more leading funds sort of talking to the individual, but using cohorting to inform business strategy, which I think was what Jackie was just describing. Um, I was expecting not to see much on the retirement income solution side. So I sort of think of the solution piece as being the, the retirement products that you can use, um, dedicated investment strategy, but also that drawdown piece. So that's very much the Jeff Warren framing of the world, um, package it all up and call that the retirement income solution. And there is actually surprisingly amount, a large amount of interesting little things happening in that space. So there are funds which clearly have some longevity products available, but there's also funds which have dedicated retirement investment strategies in their account-based pension products. And there's also some funds which have a dedicated drawdown strategy, which doesn't just apply the minimum um, drawdown rules attached to the account-based pension, but they're doing something a little bit different, which potentially gives members a um, an improved retirement outcome. So surprisingly large amount happening there, but it's also an area where I expect to see huge developments in the future. And I think there's a lot of aspiration there for, for more. The final point to call out is on the role of advice and guidance and really how do you get the information about your members? How do you sort of get them into the right solution? And um, and give them confidence that, that this is the right solution for them. They should feel comfortable with their retirement um, set up and so forth. And there's a lot of uncertainty there. And you can sort of read some of the language amongst some of those retirement income strategies is that you, when you read between the lines, yes, we'd like to do more, but we're a little bit constrained at the moment till we see where the quality of advice review takes us. And specifically, you always have to remember that there is the review, but whether that gets the recommendations get adopted by government or not is is another you know another layer on top of that. And there's also the time frame involved too, David. Like you um, made the point very well in in the history lesson at the the start of. Um, this podcast, it does, you know, take time for policy to evolve and um, and be implemented. Um, and so, you know, I do think that as an industry, we'll have to um, begin with the current um, advice regulations and, and structures and, and think about guidance in um, and the help that we're providing members um, in the here and now and um, and allow that to evolve over time um, with the, the direction of policy, which is still, you know, certainly very unclear at this um, particular junction. And I think, um, you know, it's critical to consider both of those sides, like it's not it's not enough to have the right sort of products and solutions available to members and it's not enough to to have advice i think it's really important the way those two pieces of the puzzle come together to deliver the better outcomes for members you know you know it, 
it's certainly, um, you know, a demand-led space, which is so different to accumulation. And so what members value and um, what they're going to take up is really important. Um, and so getting the experience that's wrapped around that right as well is really um, critical for success. I mean, I think one of the, the underpinnings of why the government's so interested in um, uh, stepping up in retirement policy is to help members, you know, live the life that they can actually afford forward in retirement and to see members drawing down more. Um, we have a big sort of research panel database of our member outcomes that we've um, compiled over time and so we can see the outcomes at the individual level and kind of roll up from there that um, our members have enjoyed over the last eight years and we certainly do see that um, the majority are drawing down at the minimum rate and as a result of that um, they, you know, 40% of our members actually ended up with a higher balance after eight years than when they started. They're not um, drawing down on that capital capital over time um, to fund a, a lifestyle, a, a higher lifestyle that they can actually afford. And they probably don't realise that they could afford to live um, a higher quality of life. And you know, ultimately, what they choose is, um, um, you know, is is their choice. It's, uh, it, the government made it famous, you know, it's, it's your money. Um, absolutely, that's um, the case in retirement. But I think the key is to make sure that we're empowering members to be able to understand um, uh, what they could afford to live on and um, and give them that confidence. I think confidence is such a um, critical thing to get right for members and, um, you know, some of that um, you know, some of the, the longevity protection um, sort of products that are becoming more and more spoken about and, and more frequently coming to market now. I think one of the key roles that they can play is providing that confidence piece for members so that they can actually um, you know, draw down the, the income they can afford and enjoy the lifestyle um, in those early years in retirement while they're still really active. Jackie, when you talk yes, about I, empowering yeah. and also giving your members confidence, how exactly do you do that? Um, well, I think that that's the kind of million-dollar question for um, the industry. To be honest, that's that's the um, uh, that's the challenge that we have to crack. I think it's it's the combination of um, getting. Um, getting getting help right for members how we how we contact them how we talk speak to them the education that we provide to them right through their superannuation journey as well as um you know, how we sort of step them through that journey and that experience to the point of retirement um making it tangible for them um putting it in terms that resonate with them um, and that they can engage with and keeping keeping the conversation simple but sophisticated enough behind the scenes that it's really genuinely delivering better outcomes for them um, and um, and making sure that they um, they have the information and um, the support to feel like they can kind of take that step and um, and act on it I don't I don't think anyone really has the full answer for that at the moment and scale is a real issue and I think that's one of the things that have really come to um, fore in the quality of advice review. Um, you know, we, we expect something like 25,000 of our members will be retiring each year. Um, hundreds of thousands of members will be retiring each year across the industry and so, you know, being able to support them in that, you know, really complex moment um, through, um, you know, 
face-to-face advice is, um, you know, almost an impossible challenge for the industry. We just don't have the advisors to do it um, across Australia. And so we need to find other means to give them that help and guidance. Um, And, you know, maybe it's sort of a more of a hybrid approach between information and education and um, formal advice. So finally, where do you think further policy and regulatory changes may come? David, do you want to start this one? Yeah, I think um, this quality of advice review is um, going to be fascinating to see where it goes um, because I think Jackie alluded to the scale of the problem. So if you think about 250,000 retirees every year, even if um, you know, the frameworks change, which mean that you know, um, financial planners can take on more clients, that won't be the, the the solution. Just won't match up to the types of people who are retiring and and versus their own business models. And so, there's a huge throughput every year of retirees who who we want to get through the system with confidence and a and a retirement solution that works for them and it's tailored to their own circumstance. So, yeah, the retire the quality of advice review is not just about um, retirement advice and guidance, but it's definitely um, a very important element of that. So I think that's one of the big areas that we're, that is important to watch. Um, I think um, one of the other topics that has started to get airplay again is um, the objective of super and um, finally getting that enshrined. And, you know, I think, um, you know, we'd all agree across the industry these days that there's real value in having an agreed objective for super and, um, you know, just to have that clarity um, enshrined in legislation, I think would be useful. To be interesting to watch that spin or not. And another one of those um, long in the tooth policy discussions that take many, many years to implement potentially. And probably the last one just to add in is the, you know, because they're probably policy challenges that we were just referring to, is the regulatory challenge and where APRA goes. And it's really interesting. It's a, and I'm sure they'd sort of acknowledge this themselves that how do you sort of create a degree of an assessment? The degree of assessment and accountability without crimping the potential for innovation and discovery and individ, you know, individualization that comes through a principles-based framework. So sort of an area where there is a high risk of you know, regulatory mistake um, where you could you know, really cut into the, the principles-based policy framework that we have. So how you get that balance there is going to be a fascinating area that I'm sure will be a big theme for the next two or three years. Yeah. It's going to be really challenging for them because most of the regulation, um, you know, the APRA standards, for example, are very much focused on the product level today, whereas the retirement income covenant, the the key call to action is um, striking a balance between three objectives, which um, happens at the member level, and it's the member um, outcome, um, and even even the member outcomes assessment really is very sort of product level focused today, and so it'll be really interesting to see how APRA evolves that mindset. And and um, helps industry shift to that member outcome lens, um, you know, in terms of you know, like the individuals or at least the cohorts that, that we're serving. Um, so I think I think that will be one one to watch as they they step through that challenge. And so, David, just to summarise the current state of retirement income policy. Have I- Doddle back to my um, history lesson at the start, and I think there are three big issues, and I think two of them have been ticked off. So, 
funds have not only been mandated, but they've really been given a broad canvas to go and develop retirement income strategies for their members, which give them confidence to, to have an appropriate level of retirement, which is really exciting. Um, it opens up the channels for industry to innovate. I'd also say that government has also resolved the product level challenges around retirement income stream products, which for a while was viewed as something that was holding back industry from that perspective. And so there are two of the three issues. The last one we're left with is this challenge around advice and guidance, and that we'll, we're all watching where this one goes through the quality of advice review and then subsequent um, government work in this area. So two out of three. Um, I'm going to say, oh, should I say that's two out of three ain't bad or, or whatever. But um, so I think we're there getting very close that way and there's enough, there's a very clear mandate for industry to go ahead now and, and innovate and, um, and that's exciting. Would you like to add anything to that, Jackie? What would you like to say next? Um, I guess I'm just um, really uh, excited to see what gets implemented and how the industry moves forward from here. It's really um you know, it's really just the beginning. We've got strategies in place. It's the first crack. They'll absolutely evolve from here. Um, we'll all get really used to getting closer to our members and researching what they need and um, how the new products and services and, and guidance and, and everything that we're delivering to them um, um, helps um, support them in retirement. And I'm just really looking forward to that journey and to see where the industry takes us. I think um, you know, there'll certainly be a lot of innovation um, and a lot of good that will come out of this um, change in policy. So I'm looking forward to it. Great. Thank you. Thank you so much, Jackie. And thank you, David. You've been listening to the AIA Future of Super podcast with David Bell and Jackie Ellis. Thank you to our speakers and our sponsor, AIA.